Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we're once again continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew. Before we get to that, we just want to remind you that the nominations period for our elders and deacons is open until February 6th. You can find the nominations form and more information about what it means to nominate an elder or deacon here at South Harbor by visiting the Church Center app. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim as he brings us a message where we ask, what did it mean for Jesus to fulfill the law? And now, here's Pastor Tim. Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Matthew chapter 5. If you're, if you're new with us, we are, uh, first off, we're thrilled you're joining us, um, so welcome. Um, but also, we are, uh, for the last two months and for the next year or so, we are journeying through the biography of Jesus written down by his least likely disciple, Matthew. So we are in chapter five. Uh, this section of Matthew is a section, it's actually the beginning section of Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and it's this, um, if you're new to the Sermon on the Mount, it's this brilliant, beautiful teaching of Jesus outlining what life would look like if we actually took the, the words of God seriously and chose to live it out. Um, he's outlining how do we do that. Now, uh, this is a section that's teaching, so he's going to teach us like, what this looks like with words. And what you're going to see the rest of the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus showing us what this looks like lived out in flesh and in blood. So uh, we are in the section of teaching, and then uh, hopefully we're going to unpack these teachings as Jesus lives them out in real time and real place um, over the course of the next year. But we're picking up where we left off, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and of the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We'll we'll stop there this morning. Um, now, uh, when Jesus, just, just to get some of our vocab straight, when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. The law is the, what we refer to as the Torah, or Jews refer to as the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. Now, the law includes 613 individual laws. So there's 613 individual commands in what is referred to as the law. The prophets are all those names at the end of our Old Testament, those like, hard to pronounce names, Haggai, Haggai, Habakkuk. Uh, those names are the prophets. The prophets, essentially what the prophets are trying to do is show us how to live out those 613 laws in real time and in real place. Now, uh, they knew that they're not perfect examples of this. They knew that they were humans. They were human examples. Jesus is going to show us a perfect example of how to live them out, but the prophets showed us human examples. So when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, Essentially, it's the majority of what we would refer to as the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. When Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Here's the question to wrestle with this morning. What does he mean with that? What does he mean? 
Does he mean uh, that he's, um, at plain reading, we'd read something like this and assume that what Jesus is saying is he's uh, not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. To fulfill something in our world means you finish it. So we read it and say, Jesus has not come to uh, get rid of it or destroy it, but he's come to finish it. He's come to finish the law and the prophets, the Old Testament. Jesus is fulfilling it. Um, we use that language like Amazon delivers a package and you say they fulfilled their order, right? It's done. Their end of the deal is done. Uh, you now have your stuff. Uh, we fulfilled it. Is this what Jesus is saying? It's done. The rules, the, is Jesus in this moment throwing out the rule book? Is that why, um, you know, we get to cut our sideburns and we don't wear tassels and we get to eat bacon? Is that what he means? Like some of you are like, please, Tim, don't ruin that. Don't ruin bacon. Uh, is that what he means? In fact, there are certain groups of uh, Christians, certain sections of Christians that will, will hear these, that Jesus is throwing out the rule book and take it to such an extreme that they'll say, we can do anything because we have freedom in Christ. And they'll justify all sorts of lewd behaviors because where sin abounds, grace will abound. This is actually a problem Paul was dealing with in the New Testament. It goes way back. Is, that what, is Jesus throwing out the rule book? Now, there's another group of people who will say, no, 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 no. What Jesus is doing in this moment is Jesus is giving a much harder set of rules. There were the old rules. What Jesus is doing is doubling down. He's up in the ante. In fact, if you keep reading, um, you, you notice that there's this refrain Jesus will go back to again and again and again. Jesus will say, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Uh, a number of times. Uh, first, you've heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to murder. Then you've heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to adultery. Then you've heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to divorce. I don't know why adultery, I don't know why it's doing that. That's weird. Quit being weird. Uh, I, you've heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to making oaths. And then you've heard it said, but I tell you as it pertains to settling disputes. Um, so we'll see this. And, and if you read the individual sections, what you realize is Jesus, is, it seems like he's up in the ante. Right? The Old Testament talks about don't murder. Jesus ups the ante and says you're not allowed to even get angry. Uh, the Old Testament talks about committing adultery. Jesus talks about don't even lust. Even lust is a sin. So which is it? There's two camps. One camp says, well, Jesus is throwing out the old rule book. It's been finished. It's been fulfilled. The other camp says, no, 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 no. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is giving harder rules. He's doubling down on the rules. So which is it? I want to propose to you this morning, and I'm going to take two weeks to do this, but I want to propose to you this morning that uh, Jesus isn't throwing out the old rule book, and he's not just giving harder rules for the sake of giving harder rules. I want to propose that what Jesus is doing in this moment is giving, he's, he's engaging with a really sophisticated and complicated debate in his day. There was an ancient debate about what does it mean to fulfill the law the Old Testament. What does it mean to do it right? I want to propose that Jesus in this section is trying to engage in this debate. But because we've lost the debate, by and large, uh, many of us, because we don't know the rules of the debate or the terms of the debate, we miss what, the, the brilliance of what Jesus is saying. And if I could uh, go even further, I think that if we don't understand chapter five and what Jesus is doing in chapter five, if we miss it, there is a risk that will miss what Jesus is doing in the rest of his life. This chapter, I think, is so important that we catch what Jesus is doing here. It's so important. How Jesus reads his Bible is so important that if we don't understand how Jesus read his Bible, we may risk misreading and misinterpreting our Bible. So um, this morning, as a way of getting after it, 
I want to take just one of those you've heard it said, but I tell you's. Um, we're not going to get to all of them, but I want to take one of them, and I want to unpack the one, and, and uh, that rule will apply to all of them. So I want to explore what it is Jesus is doing here. Um, now, i got two, two main reasons to do this. Uh, the first reason is I want you to catch how Jesus engages this debate, because um, it really does matter. It really matters. The other reason is because next week, um, well, okay, when we, when we sat on doing this series in Matthew, um, there was a handful of us, myself included, that were saying we should take three years to go through Matthew because we want to go through it line by line by line. Uh, and what we recognized was oh, it will take us that long to unpack this thing well. Uh, if we ch- choose to take less time, it's going to require us to skip certain parts. So uh, we ended up saying let's just go for a year, and, uh, and, and in doing so, we have to skip certain parts of Matthew. However, we did make a commitment that if there's a hard section, we will deal with it. There is a section in, in this chapter five that is hard, and it is the section on divorce. And so next week, we are going to look at, we're going to take what we learned this week, and, uh, and we're going to add to it next week when it comes to divorce. Um, now, with all that being said, I would covet your prayers as I take what's up here and here and try to get it in, uh, in some kind of a logical sense on paper this week. Um, please, if there's any sermon that I'm aware of, uh, I, I've, I've been doing this now for 14 years, and I've never talked about divorce from a stage, because if there's any message that I realize that, every, that one bad sentence can cause unbelievable damage, it's over the subject of divorce. And so we're going to be careful, but we're going we're gonna to do our best to understand what was happening and what Jesus was saying when it comes to divorce. That's next week. Um, this week... I want to look at a different one of the you have heard it says, but I tell you, uh, and try to get under, like, what, how is Jesus engaging this ancient debate? Now, before we get to the debate, um, let's just start by seeing what Jesus said about one of the you have heard it says, said, but I tell you, which means this morning, if we're going to talk about this, this morning we have to talk about murder. <laughs> Our murder victim. Our murder victim this morning, you're wondering what was under the blanket, right? You're wondering what's under, what is on it? looks like a human. Uh, this. So, uh, I know. I know. This is, uh, my kids named this, this gentleman Slothy the Sloth Man. Um, it's a giant sloth. By the way, if you want to you freak people out on the highway, uh, this morning, I thought, the, I thought the person that was pulling up next to me was going to lose it. They just were laughing so hard because this guy was on the passenger seat with me. Um, <laughs> Slothy, the Sloth. Slothy the Sloth Man was a gift from my brother-in-law who not only loves to give us ob- obnoxiously large gifts that my kids will love, um, but also gifts that make noise and play songs, and randomly turn on in the middle of the night, and gifts that, and gifts that take 24 AAA batteries, not AA, AAA, because we all have AAA batteries laying around the house. So Slothy, the sloth man, he'll be our murder victim this morning. Um, I'm sorry, Slothy. Uh, this, let's start with what Jesus said about murder. Jesus says this, murder, about murder. There it is. <laughs> All right, uh, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not m- 
No. Uh, murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Let's stop there. Jesus says, you shall not murder. Now, um, this, uh, this you shall not murder is not new to Jesus. Jesus, when he says, you've heard it said, is quoting something that they heard said. This section, you shall not murder. Anybody know where in the Old Testament that's found? Oh, you know the actual passage. Well done. Uh, bonus points. Um, the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. Literally in the Hebrew, you shall not murder translates, don't murder. Uh, there's a whole section that Jesus is quoting from. It's part of their top 10. There's 613 rules. This is top 10. Don't murder. Now, before we get into it, let me differentiate between um, what the Old Testament differentiates. There's a difference between murder and killing. Okay? It's, it's important to know. Um, it's, there's a difference, and the Old Testament talks about these things differently. As it pertains to acts of war, the language used in the Old Testament is the language of killing. As it pertains to self-defense, somebody breaks in your house, self-defense, the language is used, the, the Old Testament uses is killing. As it pertains to uh, an accident, you were in a car and you hit a patch of ice and, and tragically someone lost their life. The language the Old Testament uses is the language of killing. There are rules about that stuff. There are ways to deal with that stuff. We're not going to look at it this morning, but understand murder, murder. <laughs> there it is. Right. I'll stop. I'll stop. Um, murder uh, and, and killing are differentiated in our Bible. They're different. Uh, so Let's assume that something happened. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't self-defense. It wasn't fighting for your country. It wasn't hunting or something with animals. Like, it was murder. What I want to do is I want us to get into the mind of a coroner. And I want to conduct an autopsy with you. I want to ask the question, what happened right before Slothy the Sloth Man was murdered. What happened in the moments right before Slothy? So there's a body, and, uh, and an event happened, and now Sloth, Slothy is dead. Uh, what happened in the events leading right up to it? And will they inform how we understand what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying and in how he's engaging with this conversation? So let's see if we can trace the roots of this whole thing. Now, I would say that right before the murder, right before the murder, there was the thought in the mind of the murderer, I will kill him. Probably, that's why I'm not a coroner. It's not rocket science. It's like a duh. Um, I will kill him. But I would say before there was a thought, I will kill him, was the thought somebody should kill them. I should kill them. Who will, who will kill them? Somebody should kill them. Who will kill them? I'll kill them. And then there's the act. Uh, the, you see, there's kind of like a progression to the whole thing, right? It starts with the act, and then I'll do it. Somebody should do it. There is a progression to, to the whole thing. But I, would, but I would say there's the act. Then there's I'll kill them. Somebody should kill them. But I would say you could back up even further. Uh, I would say that there is a thought that might pass through the murderer's mind uh, the world would be better off without them. Somebody should kill them. Somebody should do something about it. I'll take care of it. The act. Follow? It's a progression. 
But I would say, you could actually back up a little bit further. I would say that there's, there's the act, uh, I'll do it, somebody should do it, the world would be better off without them. But I would say before you even get to that spot, I'm going to back up into something. I would say, you probably have the idea that passes through this murderer's, head, this murderer's brain that this person is worth less. They're less valuable than everyone else. They're lower. They're worth less. The world would be better off without them in it. Somebody should eliminate them. I'll do it. The act. But I would say you could actually probably back up even further. There's the act. Then there's I'll do it. Somebody should do it. The world would be better off without them in it. Uh, This person is worth less. Uh, I would say that before you even go there, in the mind of maybe would come the thought, this person doesn't deserve to be. They don't, they don't deserve it. They, they've wasted it. They've spoiled it. They don't deserve to be. They're worth less. The world would be better off without them in it. Somebody should take care of it. I'll do it. The act. You follow? It's a progression. But I would say you could probably back up even further. There's the act. Then there's, I'll do it. Somebody should do it. Uh, This person, uh, the world would be better off without them in it. This person is worth less. This person doesn't deserve to be. I'm lost. I got my cheat sheet. Hang on. Oh, oh, I would say before you get to all of that, you have what maybe the language I would use is the word contempt. The word contempt. Uh, contempt is this idea that uh, you, who you are is bad or wrong. Contempt is that feeling you have when you're like, oh, that person? That's contempt. Contempt is, ugh. Contempt often disguises itself with clever jokes or clever memes or TikTok videos. But like this person or, or like this group of people are just, ugh. So I would argue that at some point you get to contempt and then this world would be better off without them in it or my world would be better off without them in it. This person doesn't deserve to be. Someone should take care of them. Someone should eliminate them. I'll do it. Then you have the act. But I would say that you even have something before this. Someone should take care of it. I'll do it. Uh, This person doesn't deserve to be. Uh, This person needs to be eliminated. This person is worth less. Uh, Contempt. But I would say that you could go back even further to this low level. They did something. Anger. Something this person did was so wrong, so bad, and it boils and it festers. It was so wrong. The word for anger in the New Testament is the word origzo. It means like a boiling cauldron. It's like the pilot lit has been lit and now it's boiling and boiling and boiling and the boiling leads to contempt. You let the boiling sit long enough and now it's not just you did something wrong, but now it's you are something wrong. You let that sit long enough. The world would be better off without this person in it. This person is worth less. Somebody needs to do something about this person. I'll do it. How's that for the the progression? Do you see the progression? Do you see how it doesn't often start? This is why, by the way, uh, most murders, uh, most murders in our country happen by people who are family members or loved ones of the person. It doesn't start with murder. It starts somewhere further back. You see this? Contempt, anger. By the way, a quick story. Um, 
before the service. I was like, I'm never going to keep that order straight. Never going to do it. I better print it off. So I printed off the order. And, uh, and then I got caught up trying to figure out our technology with Jared. And I left it on our printer. And so I then do the 8 o'clock service. And I go out to the printer. And Aaliyah, our, uh, our office administrator, is in the back room. And she goes, Tim, do you know anything about this? That's what I printed. <laughs> that you don't want sitting on your printer. That you do not want. I feel awful. I still feel awful about it. I feel awful. I, I would argue. I'm so sorry, Aaliyah. I'm so sorry. Uh, I would argue that most of us understand intuitively that murder doesn't start with murder. It often, now there's acts of passion, there's all the, but uh, most often a murder can back up to, it doesn't start with the act. It starts with something that happens here. Here's a quick story. Uh, last week, Thursday, so about 10 days ago or so, um, I was driving home from work and uh, so Thursday for me is my, it's your Friday. It's my beginning of the weekend. I get Friday and Saturday off. And so uh, it's, like, I'm on weekend mode, um, but I'm driving home. And I get to the corner of 68th Street and uh, Byron Center Avenue. So, you know, you're familiar with where we are. This is us. We're the cross. Uh, so like, is that Byron Center? Yeah, right here. So we're like, I'm like in this area. I get to the corner there, and I, I stop at the light, and then when I go to hit the gas to go from the light, my car makes, oh, by the way, I drive a 16-year-old Honda Civic. She's fantastic. I call her she. I don't know if that's appropriate, but we've talked. We've been together for a while. <laughs> so forgive me. Um, 16 years, uh, I've, had, I've had this car for a while, and, uh, and this car has caused me no issues, but I go to hit my gas, and my car makes the most ungodly noise. Uh, it is just, it's the loudest, rumbly, like this is not good. So I quickly diagnose the situation, which is, this is not good. Uh, and I make the decision, instead of going right to get on the highway, I decide instead I'm gonna go straight, stop at the gas station. Why? I have no idea. I don't know anything about cars. This is like, me getting out of the car and looking under the hood is kind of like all of us who thought, I can cut my own hair during quarantine. No, just leave it for the professionals. Uh, no, um, but I get out of the car. I quickly realize, no, I'm, I'm, I don't know what this is, and I also don't want to deal with it. It's my weekend. So I get back in the car. I'm like, I'm going to go home. We'll deal with it on Monday, um, whatever's going on here. So I get on the, I uh, make my way to M6, and then I have to get to 131, and I have to head north. Now, as, by the way, I should mention that when I, every time I touch the gas, even touch it, it goes from like kind of loud to like I'm strangling Chewbacca, like just full on, like just awful sound of that. So I, I pull off to 131. I, I don't want to ruin my car. I don't want to, I don't want to have to buy a new car in this season. So I don't want to ruin my car. I want to just kind of like, we'll wait till car prices come back down. So I'm taking it easy. And I realize that I, I'm going to say something that's deeply offensive. I'm going like 45 miles an hour on the highway because I don't want to. I have my hazards on. I'm going 45 miles an hour or so down the highway because I'm trying to like not ruin my car. And uh, next thing I know, I look. I'm in the, I'm in the right lane. I'll do doing the right stuff. I look, and in my rearview mirror, I see a truck, and it's barreling down on me. It's going 70 miles an hour. I'm going 45. I quickly do, do a little bit of math in my head and realize this guy's going to be really mad at me. 
That was my mind. And instead of coming over and cutting into the lane, he comes right behind me, and I look in my rearview mirror, uh, and he like flies right on my back end, and I resist looking up for a moment. In fact, I try to, I try to gun it, which is the most ridiculous sentence to use when you have a Honda. <laughs> me gunning it is like, it's like a blender taking off. Like it's not, no, um, it's not gonna happen. So I, uh, I try, but it doesn't go, it doesn't do much. Um, I, I see this gentleman now, I can see his face and he's angry and he's up behind me. And then I notice he gives, he waves to me with two hands and two fingers. And it was actually kind of impressive because he kept both hands on the wheel and yet was able to still navigate. They didn't teach me this lesson in driver's training, Um, but he he figured it out. Both fingers uh, I'm looking at now, and I'm realizing he's really mad. Uh, But here's, I'll I'll give you the, I promise you my exact thought was, I got to take a picture. This would be perfect in my sermon. (laughs) Something's broken in me. He's honking now at this point. Like he's honking, and there's different kinds of honks, you, you realize, right? There's the honk that's like, hey, buddy, I'm here. There's that honk. Then there is the, the, the if, if you could honk with swear words, that honk. That, I got that honk, and he's waving at me, double barrel, double gun salute. Uh, and I'm thinking, I got to take a picture of this. Not, not the smartest move, but some have to suffer for the kingdom. Just <laughs> here to serve. Just here to serve. So then I realized, oh, no, he's, I don't want to take a picture now because I was like, I'll blur out his face. It'll be fine. Um, but then he all of a sudden juts out around me, and he's now going to come up on the side of me. You know this moment? It's like, all right, here we go. Time for the confrontation. <laughs> Fix my hair. Uh, like, let's do this. Um, and, uh, you know, typically I, I want to de-escalate it at this point, so I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. But I, I'm waiting for, like, this moment where I got I to gotta turn the radio down so I can think. Anybody else do that? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. But I got to turn the radio down so I can think. Um, but I'm like, okay, I got to get ready because he's coming up on the side of me. He gets there, and I turn, turn over, and I look at the guy, and I realize it's that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I realize as I turn over, I look, I look at the guy, and he is locked ahead, looking straight up the road. He doesn't even look at me. He's like a ninja. He's focused, but he's got one hand up and one finger again waving at me, and then he's gone. That's my story. Uh, have, you ever, have, you ever been, have you ever had someone give you the finger? It feels oddly violating, doesn't it? It feels oddly, I I can't put my finger on it, but it feels oddly, it feels, you ever have this sense where it's like, oh, if I could only explain myself, if I could only apologize, and yet you get this moment, it feels like oddly violate. What is in the human heart? What is in the human heart that a car is a bit too slow on the highway and all of a sudden, the cauldron, the origzo, is boils over. What is in the human heart that is so dark that the smallest activity can just cause someone to explode? How many people in your life do you know that like live in this space of the pilot lights lit, you do one thing wrong, do you have anyone in your life where it's like you say the wrong words, you bring up the wrong name, you bring up the wrong sports team or the wrong politician, and you are, you, uh, my daughter brought home from school this week, I thought this was a fit, fitting example, she brought home, uh, she's working, I guess, on, on Paul and Saul, um, have you ever met anyone that goes from Paul to Saul in like, 
So, like, just from zero to Metallica. Like, whoa! Uh, like, the, like, just what is in the human heart that can do this? Uh, my, uh, my son is uh, he's, he's eight, and he's in a YMCA. Um, he was in a YMCA basketball league. And, and uh, there was a game. Not to, he's eight. Um, and so we're, we're at the beginning stages of basketball leagues. And, uh, and we're in this game, and these two parents... I, I, I'm not exaggerating, at one game are having it out. They're, they're like going after each other because they disagree on how we've pulled to, put together the lineups for the team. They're eight, and they're having it out. I mean, honestly, the thing we're working on on the team is, hey, you could do better at basketball if your hands are out of your pockets. I mean, that's the stage we're at. Like, we're not, like, this is like new. Like, they're new. Uh, and what? what is in the human heart that's like just waiting? Now, not to, not to overly psychoanalyze, uh, not to overly psych... I thought that was you, Bill, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, don't leave on me. <laughs> not to overly psychoanalyze dude and truck. But I think something really interesting happened between the rearview mirror double barrel salute and the passing along on the side of me, eyes fixed ahead, uh, just a hand at me. I think something interesting happened. I would call the first one anger. Something I did was, like, something I did was wrong. Something I did violated something, and I need you to know I'm angry with you. But I would argue that the second one moved from anger to contempt. It's not just something I did was wrong, but something I am is wrong. Something I stood for, something I was. Now, when it comes to contempt, contempt takes on ugly forms. Contempt often is, I need to push you to the margins. I'm smarter than you. I'm better than you. I'm a more kind, caring person. Uh, I'm like, often it's a jab, it's a meme, it's a TikTok video. <laughs> like, like, it can take, sometimes they're really funny. But there's still like a dark side to contempt. What is that? What is that? What is that? Um, I would say that this, you don't even deserve my eyes, was a what a loser. What a, you don't even deserve my eyes. We move now from anger into contempt. And I think, this is just my opinions here but I think contempt has become the new cultural normal. Let that sink in for a minute. I, would, I think you can make a strong case that contempt has become the new cultural normal. We did anger. For the last five years or so, we did anger, and then we did outrage. So we, like, we took the, the pilot light, and we really turned it up. We did anger. We did outrage. And I think you can make a strong Uh, a strong argument that we as a culture have moved from anger into not just I don't like what you did, but I don't like who you are. I don't like who you are. Uh, Last week, Pastor Rob, if you're here last week, Pastor Rob alluded to a conversation that we had in the office right before the sermon. Uh, Got permission to share it, so I'll share the story. Um, uh, We were having a discussion, uh, Pastor Tierra, Rob, myself, we're having a discussion on, because uh, if you were here last week, we talked, blessed are the merciful and, and the Beatitudes. And, uh, and we were having a conversation about whether mercy is a, is a value anymore culturally. 
Like it should be a value for Christians, but is it culturally a value? And uh, this, the conclusion of this conversation was, I, we, we don't think so. Um, I, I love how Tira, I'm not going to try to be as eloquent as she is on this, but um, I don't think so. I don't think mercy is something we celebrate anymore. In fact, I would argue that right now in the world you and I live in, it's actually valued to write people off. Contempt is valued. Um, what, whatever language you'd use, cancel, like I'm gonna cancel them, I'm gonna block them, I'm gonna unfollow them, whatever language we would use for the space we're in, I think we can make a strong argument that we've moved into the land of contempt culturally. Um, not to get too far into politics, but I'm going to. Um, uh, without being par- partisan, hopefully. Um, hopefully we agree on this. But uh, anybody f- follow the stuff with Aaron Rodgers recently? Quarterback for the Packers watching this? Now, let me just name my case on the front end. I don't like Aaron Rodgers because he's a Packer, right? We, it's about that for us. It's about sports. Um, I don't know the man as a human. Um, but uh, if you've been watching last week, uh, the Packers lost their, uh, their playoff run. And um, if, if you follow sports, like that's a big moment for a team. And, uh, and yet the level of vitriol that came out, and again, it's often funny. It's a, it's a meme. It's a TikTok. Um, if, if you're not really following the story, uh, uh, famously or infamously, depending on, your, on how you see the world, um, Aaron Rodgers was kind of caught in a lie around vaccination. He, he, was, he was not vaccinated. Uh, and quickly, in one loss of a game, it's like our entire... All the memes, all the TikToks, all of the, all of it, all the, all the mass conversation and vaccination conversation placed on a, a man. And I just remember thinking that even, like, this has taken a dark turn. We are on a bad path. Um, we, if anger sits too long and it's not dealt with, anger according to the progression, will progress to contempt. I would make an argument that we are watching the progression. Here's the most scary part. If not arrested, the progression continues. I think culturally we're on a progression. Uh, Now you've seen this play out in relationships. Like you've seen this actually. Think about a relationship uh, of somebody that you know. Hopefully it's not one of your relationships, but maybe. Um, a relationship where it started with like maybe, maybe love and then it ended. Think about how the progression of that relationship went. Probably there was a moment of anger or several moments of anger where, again, it's something, I don't like what you did. And there's the yelling and then there's the cursing and the choice language and the, maybe there's the slamming of doors. Quickly though, if not dealt with then, anger moves into a deeper and uglier space. Um, We might call it the silent treatment. I would call it contempt. The cold shoulder. The, the, I am not even going to honor you with my words. You aren't worth my energy. Quickly, if not dealt with, anger moves to contempt. What is the silent treatment? I would actually say, at the silent treatment, you're moving to the spot of, my world would be better if you weren't here. You're in the way. If not dealt with, and we've seen this in relationships, the the pathway forward, hopefully not murder, but the pathway forward uh, often ends really ugly, really dark. And I would argue that right now, um, culture, we're here. We we would all say, I'm not a murderer. I'm not a murderer. And yet, how many of us find ourselves somewhere on the trajectory? Um, Now, the, the brilliance, by the way, 
if Jesus people don't figure this out, right, we always expect culture to figure it out, right? Like non-Jesus people to stop doing this. And it's like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Our, they don't know Jesus. Why would we expect them to do what Jesus says to do if they don't know Jesus? If Christians can't figure this out, I think we can, we can say we love Jesus. We can say that he died for our sins. But, if, but we cannot say that we're making him Lord of our lives. They're not doing what he said. Now, um, what does he say to do? Jesus, let's look at the argument. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry, or rigzo, the boiling cauldron, with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, raka. Raka is the sound you would make before spitting on someone. So you move from anger to contempt. Anyone who says, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, what is you fool? You fool is, you are worth less. We have a progression here. Um, you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. What Jesus is doing is a highly technical debate of his day. I won't take you into the weeds on the debate, um, but there's a debate that was raging in Jesus' day. The debate was, what does it mean to follow the Old Testament? Or as they would phrase it, what does it mean to fulfill the law and the prophets? How do you do it right? The debate was, how do we do it? The word for uh, fulfill does not mean to complete something. The word for fulfill in the, in the Hebrew is the word kayem. It means to interpret correctly. So, so what Jesus is saying is, I'm not coming to get rid of the rules. I'm coming to show you what it looks like when these laws are interpreted correctly. Um, I was in a conversation with uh, a friend this last week, and we were, this came up because I'm talking about it this week, and um, he had studied in Israel for a number of years, and uh, he said to me, because you know what was really interesting as, you, as we talk about the subject, he said, when I was in Jerusalem, um, there, there was an adult bookstore just up the street from where my apartment was, and he said, what's really interesting is the people who would frequent the adult bookstore the most were the ultra-Orthodox Jews. Because for them, this is his language, for them, the law says don't commit adultery. This is not adultery. Adultery requires bodies, and this is not that. And so Jesus would say to that, you have abolished the law. You are not fulfilling it. Why? Because you've made the law following a set of rules, and you've missed the heart of the law. Do you follow this technical debate? You miss the, the heart of it. You don't, this isn't Jesus throwing out the rules, and it's not Jesus making the rules harder. This is Jesus trying to remind us why the rules exist in the first place. It starts with our hearts. Our hearts will drive our actions. Our hearts will drive our actions. Um, often we think that it's just what we do that's real. It's, Jesus, I think, would, would insist that it's not just what we do that's real, but if it's here, it's real, and it will grow. Those of us who think like we can just stuff our emotions, if it's here, it's real, and it will grow. Um, experiment time. Um, I won't ask for volunteers, but let, for those of you who are single, um, if I were to say to you, just the words, if I were to say to you, uh, she's really interested in you. Or how about this one? He thinks you're beautiful. Those words do something, don't they? Without him actually saying the words or her saying the words, just those words 
How about, how about this one? Um, how about these words? If I were to find you and say, you know what I heard? They don't love you anymore. Uh, how about this one? They think you're ugly. The boss thinks you're lazy. Those are just words. Just words. And yet those words, if they get in, like they change everything, don't they? What Jesus is saying is if it gets in, if it's here, we have to deal with here because this will manifest itself out. We have to, if it's in the heart, if it's in the brain, if it's in the psyche, whatever language we would use, if it's here, if it's in us, it will look to get out. Uh, I was in, I went to college in the early 2000s. It's like forever ago now, but um, early 2000s. Um, I was born in the 1900s, kids. I know, right? It's an old man, old man up here. Um, <laughs> went to college in the early 2000s, and uh, this was post-internet, but pre-social media. So I remember Facebook and MySpace and all of them coming out, but this is kind of post-internet, pre-social media. And when I was in the dorms, there was a website that got really, really popular uh, for like a short, for a short period of time. Uh, the website was a website referred to as hotornot.com. I don't think it still exists, but do you remember, some of you grew up in the early, remember this website? Hotornot.com. Not to be confused with its sister site, I'm not making this up, its sister site, uh, Rank My Face. The internet got off to a rough start, okay? Just like, <laughs> internet got off to a rough start. Rank my face. Uh, hot or not, though, the idea behind hot or not was you would submit a photo, ideally of yourself, not somebody else, but you would submit a photo, and then you would open it up for ranking, and people would rank you on whether they thought you were hot, attractive, or not. And on a scale of one to 10, one being not hot and 10 being hot. And this is what you would do because... There's no other problems to do or solve in the world, so why not? And this is fun, and it is fun. It's like until um, I remember the I remember the the moment it happened when um, some somebody has a joke. Uh, this is you, you can imagine this would be a joke that somebody would do in in college. Um, but uh, to a good friend of mine, um, somebody had submitted his picture to hotornot.com, and then somebody else said, "Dude, you're on hotornot.com." And, uh, and then I, rem- I was in the room when he looked up his profile on hotornot.com. And um, if you've ever been in the room with somebody as you watch their heart break, I learned something when I was 19. Hot or not, I would argue, is Murder. I watched it happen to a guy. Now, if you dig in a little bit, just dig in. The website got sold to some other website. Got sold to some, but YouTube and Facebook both credit Hot or Not with giving them the idea to launch their platform, allegedly at least. Both websites, the interactivity of it, the, the social platform of it, the connectability of it, both have said this is like a precursor to think these platforms are not doing real damage, I think, is to miss it. Now, is there other opportunities for good? Of course there is. Of course there's opportunities for good. But to think that these are passive, I, I, I would argue, in my, when I was 19, I, what I became aware of is that it's not just the act. It's not just 
the moment of, but you can actually trace the act back to a progression into a scale. And it starts with this. I love how um, brilliant Christian uh, theologian Amy Jill Levine says it this way. <clears throat> she says it better than I, I could. Jesus sees connections between murder and insult, death and name-calling. He's right. We've heard that sticks and stones can, <clears throat> excuse me, can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. But the saying is wrong. Names hurt. Names kill. In our call-out culture, children are, being, our children are cyber-bullied to death. People take their lives because of the barrage of insults. <clears throat> names kill. Jesus was right. If only we would listen to him. I believe to the depths of me now more than ever, um, we, can, we can hope and pray that our culture around us, that I think we're in contempt land. We can hope and pray that they get it. I don't think they do. But if we Christians cannot find ways to model this, cannot find ways to disagree, anger in and of itself, not necessarily a sin. It's where we go with it. If we cannot find ways to disagree with, in love and maintain the humanity of the other, we are on a dangerous path. If we, if, we just have to. We have to. We have to. We don't, there's no other option. We have to. We have to take them serious. We have to. In fact, if you think Jesus was messing around, if you think he's just playing on this, uh, notice what Jesus will follow up this murder thing. The exact next thing he says is, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, act of worship, if you're going to church, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, more important than worshiping God is dealing with that. Deal with that first, then come offer your gift, then worship God. But more important than worshiping God is dealing with this first. Don't wait, deal with it. Some final questions, and I'll be done. Final, uh, these are inspection questions. Um, some final questions. Do you walk around with a low-level boil? Is this something you know to be true about you? That... Again, anger in and of itself, not necessarily bad. Paul says, in your anger, don't sin. He doesn't say anger is sin. But do you walk around with a low boil anger? Do you know this to be kind of how you are? First question. Do you find yourself then with that low boil anger actually losing it over small things that shouldn't matter? Is this you? Um, is there a person or a group of people that you find yourself growing contempt for? Is there a person or a group of people um, that just make you, ugh, ugh? Um, is there a person or a group of people that you would never want this to happen, right? What happened to Slothy? You never want that. But is there a person or a group of people that you secretly wish were wiped off the face of the planet? What's their name? What's their name? What's their name? Jesus says, if, if that's you, don't wait. Leave your gift at the altar and go fix that. If it's here, it becomes real. Go deal with that. What's their name? Uh, today, maybe as an act of worship, it's I need to do something and I need to arrest this, this whatever this growing thing is. I need, like, what, here's a question. What is one thing you can do this week? Is it a text message you can send? Is it a letter 
you could write? You know, a long, a, a, a actual handwritten letter, how far that can go. Is there a letter you could write to them to say, hey, this has been going on. Uh, I got to own my end of that. I'm so sorry. Can we talk? Is there a phone call? Is it just like, let's just show up and try again? Like, do we just hit reset? Is there something you can do this week to that person that actually allows God to bridge the gap back? And we'll take the lessons in this, and next week we're going to talk about a really hard subject. And so, um, less jokes, but hopefully, uh, hopefully helpful. So, would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, King Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much that you, um, Lord, you actually address the heart issues. Lord, we thank you that uh, the wisdom that you shared 2,000 years ago continues to blow us away. Um, but more than that, Lord, we thank you that you showed us how to live this out. Um, even those who were so clearly wrong, those who, who hung you from a cross, you still found ways to forgive. And so, Jesus, would you remind us that... Um, it's, for, it's while we were dead in our sins that you came for us. Uh, Lord, would you remind us that it's, it's by grace that we are saved? Uh, Lord, would you help us to see the grace that's been given to us that we didn't deserve? And then, Lord, would you help us in realizing that we are victims of grace? Lord, would, we, would you help us to extend the same grace to them? Uh, Lord, if there is significant damage. We ask the Holy Spirit that you repair it. You help us to repair it. And uh, Jesus, we will give you all the praise, we pray. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, as we've said so many times before, we just want to say thanks for spending a little time with us. For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, visit us on the web at www.southharbor.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sundays at 10 a.m., you can find our services streamed live on our Facebook page. And so once again, from all of us here at South Harbor Church and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.